0: all right thank you guys as you're being seated let's take our Bibles and open this morning to uh, the book of James we just started last week through this series and uh, so we are in chapter one and we will be picking up with first verse 5 uh, this morning and let me just join in the word of welcome uh, thank you for being with us this morning if you're a guest in our services or watching online and uh, it is our hope and uh, prayer that uh, maybe during the course of this service that somehow the Holy Spirit speaks to you maybe drawing you into a relationship with with you Uh, maybe you've never yet come to that place of committing your life to the Lordship of Christ and we would love to be a part of that journey and that discovery for you what that means and what that uh, looks like so we do hope that uh, you would text just take the time um, whether today during the course of this service during the week just text FL respond to uh, 833-571-3475 and we will follow up immediately and get in touch with you about whatever it is that uh, you are are praying about, thinking about whether it's being a follower of Christ or becoming as a follower of Christ, becoming a part of this church family. and We would love to help you with that. One of the things I appreciate about James, and uh, I think because it's true in his own life, that uh, he came uh, to faith through a process of discovery. A lot of times, I think in our tradition, we think of salvation only in terms of a transactional moment. Uh, and we fail to realize that for really all of us, it was a journey of coming to a place of commitment to Christ, uh, whether it's through relationships that we have built, people we have known, encounters we have had, life circumstances that we have experienced. That's why I speak so often about us uh, being on mission where our feet are, that for untold numbers around us, we can be a part of what God is providentially doing, that in unknown conversations, unknown circumstances, We can be a part of that journey of at some point someone making that decision to commit themselves to Christ. And I think James understands that uh, the role that we play as the community of faith and why it's so important that we have this moral ethical compass that guides us and really separates us and distinguishes us us from uh, the rest of the world, that we carry ourselves different as a people of God, that you and I have an ethical matrix uh, informed by our faith, informed by the word of God uh, that directs us and guides us as to how we shall then live as, as the community of faith. And so James understands that. And I always want us to understand that influence that we have and a lot of times I think we dismiss that influence that we have, that, that role that we can play in just a very random way in the life of someone else, and we tend to dismiss it by saying, well, you know, I'm just not very successful in the faith, I don't really live it the way I, I should, but listen, it's not really about you, is it? It's really not about you, it's really not about me, because the reality is somebody else is going to pick up where you left off. In your relationships and people's encounters with you, even when we fumble the ball, someone is going to pick up the baton and continue that providential purpose that maybe is being accomplished in the life of that individual. Why not you? Moses asked the question, Why? Why should I be the one to go to Pharaoh? And essentially, God said, <laughs> essentially, the answer is, Well, you're the one available. <laughs> you're the one that's here you're the one that's present you're the one that that has expressed a desire to be obedient to me and to serve me so why not you in the process of what God is doing in the lives of others drawing them into a relationship with him why not you I can think of no more appropriate verse even though this is Psalm Sunday, Palm Sunday, I think it's I think it's actually a timely verse because Palm Sunday kicks off the Passion Week, the week of the Passion, the handing over of our Lord. And during this week we observe how in the wisdom of God, which is mind-boggling to us, but in the wisdom of God we see how he turned his son over to unimaginable suffering, unimaginable trials and hardship so that his providential purposes might be fulfilled. James has made that evident from the very beginning of this book, that how we respond to trials and tribulation bears testimony to the faith that That we confess in fact as we go through the book of James we find that trials and tribulation and how we respond as a community of faith is really a recurring theme so it may well be that in the thinking of James that when it comes to how we bear witness and testimony to our faith there is no better platform for that for the world to see than how you and I go through suffering how we react, how we respond when we are blindsided by by unexpected adversities and trials and tribulations that inevitably will fall upon us. James has said in in verse 3 that we are to consider it all joy. (laughs) Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, you... You, you co-strugglers in, in the life of faith, brothers and sisters, you're to be a very unique people. How do you respond to suffering as the people of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ? Your response is to be a response that is fitting and appropriate and reflects the faith that you confess. That's what's going to separate you from the world who despairs in their hardship. But for us, he says, to consider it. Here's your mindset. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. Now, we saw last week that that takes faith to be able to look at all circumstances, whatever they might be, to consider it with an attitude of joy that that has to be done with, with a perspective of faith. That means that my focal point is not the circumstances that happen in life, knowing that circumstances are going to come and and go, but rather from a faith perspective, we we as the people of God, we look through those circumstances with the hope of what God is doing providentially in the world, that our hope is not built and our sense of well-being is not built upon, upon the circumstances of life, but that eyes of faith enable us to look through those circumstances, to what God is doing. And James made it clear in in verse 3 that you and I, by virtue of our commitment to Christ and relationship with him, there are just some things we know or that you should know. The assumption is is that, uh, at least the way he's writing here, the assumption is, is that you know something. You know something about trials and tribulations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, you know that intellectually. You know that cognitively. That's something that you can grasp intellectually. But if we're going to respond appropriately, if we're going to respond in a way, if we're going to apply what we know, what he assumes we know, then what that will require, as he continues in verse 5, what that will require is wisdom. Wisdom is the life application of what we know intellectually. And so James' concern is is that that if we're going to be a, a distinctive people, for the world to see, for us to bear testimony to the world, they need to see that we respond and we react differently to the hardships and the trials of life. Now for that to be reality, if we're going to be able to apply what we know into, into real-time events and circumstances in life, it means that you and I have to have this ethical matrix. We have to have this process, this matrix that, that when, when it's applied, it it responds appropriately. It responds in a way that reflects the faith that we confess. Now, what I want us to notice here as we go through, through verses 5 through 8, knowing then that, that we need the wisdom to see what we know, that faith, that endurance, that that endurance, that the testing of our faith produces endurance. If if what we know is going to become reality, we need wisdom. James says wisdom is accomplished through three things. If I'm going to build this ethical matrix of wisdom that in my circumstances responds wisely, the first thing that is necessary is knowing what to ask. If you're really going to, to, as a child of God, as a person of faith, if you're going to to really respond in a wise way, if you really want that to be your response, you've got to know what to ask. See, James shows another assumption here in in verse 5, the first clause. He says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, now see, his assumption is, is is that they all know something. They all know something, but now he's concerned about a, another condition that he is very much aware exists in that messianic community of, of believers, and that is that some apparently lack wisdom. They don't have the wisdom to apply what they, what they know to be true. Now, again, this is another expression of faith, just as joy, as we see in verse two, is an an act of faith, this act of faith that that sees through the trials and as a result of that is is able to be, to to consider all things with, with joy. Now then, he says, to exercise this faith even further, for this joy to become evident, you're going to have to know what is of primary importance. That's wisdom. Wisdom is a recurring theme for James throughout his letter. And the best way, I think, to get our minds around that is that that wisdom is for James. And and again, James is writing from a perspective that we are the people of God. He assumes that that you are a committed follower of of Christ. And so, so wisdom for James is what faith is for Paul and is what life or love is for John or what hope is for Peter. In each of these, if you go back and read their their writings, these are the means by by which our faith, our belief, our trust in God is made manifest to the world. That when you act maturely, when the world sees you enduring, this is the means by, by which your faith is made evident, by which the righteousness of God in you is made evident to the world. Now this is something in the thinking of, of James. This is something that, that requires a, a supernatural response. This, this response of, of wisdom in whatever the circumstances might be. In the thinking of James, this is something that that is a, a supernatural response that stands in stark contrast to how the world responds to unexpected circumstances. The world responds emotionally. The world is reactionary. Their sense of well-being is dependent upon, upon the given circumstances of life, of whether the circumstances are good or, or whether they, they are bad. But there's something that we need to note going through James, since this is a recurring theme, and the trials that he speaks to, and the, the emotional response that it, that it elicits, most often in this messianic community to whom James is writing, their response apparently seems to be to the injustices of life seems to be one of anger because anger and how they deal with their anger their emotions and their negative reactions that's a recurring theme in this letter as well nowhere is that more evident and we'll get to it in a few weeks but in chapter one in verses 19 through 21 he says you know this my beloved brothers and sisters now everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger For a man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So you got to know what to ask. I want something that is supernatural. If I'm going to manifest the faith that I confess, I want to make a supernatural response. If I'm to bear testimony, to bear witness of the hope that is in me, I've got to respond in a way that is different. I can't become angry, I can't become a reactionary, I can't be driven by my emotions. Because it does not accomplish the righteousness of God. You gotta know what to ask for. The second thing that James makes clear, because it's a supernatural response that is required of us, it's not just knowing what to ask, but knowing who to ask. He says there, it's verse five continues, but if any of you lacks wisdom, what is the source? Let him ask God. James knows that this kind of wisdom is of divine origin. You see, that's the search of humanity. Job would even ask the same question in in his writing in Job 28 and in verse 12. Job asked the question, but where can wisdom be found and and where is the place of of understanding? He continues in verse 15, pure gold cannot be given in in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. Verse 18, coral and crystal are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is more valuable than pearls. And then listen to this in verse 23, what he writes God understands its way, and he knows its place. For he took the ends of the earth, he sees everything under the heavens. And then in verse 28, in conclusion, and to mankind, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. That was even the conclusion of the psalmist throughout the entirety of the Psalter. But listen to Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of Wisdom. It's found throughout the wisdom literature and in Proverbs, the very first proverb, verse seven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in Proverbs nine, in verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so this, this wisdom this wisdom that, that comes from, from God is necessary, is necessary for us if we are to see the teleos, the perfection. Remember last week? This kind of wisdom is necessary if we're going to endure, if we're going to, if we're going to, to persevere, if we're going to mature in our faith, if we are, are going to acquire the state of teleos, perfection, not in a sense of being without flaw but reaching the the desired end of what God would have for each one of us, being instruments of his service and to his glory. And then listen as that verse continues. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all generously without reproach and it will be given to him. I mentioned last week parallels between the writings of James, the writings of Jesus, in particular, the Sermon on the Mount, the teachings of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, and also the Magnificat of Mary in Luke 2. You read all three of those together, James, Sermon on the Mount, the Magnificat, you will see a semblance, you will see a parallel in the faith perspective of this family, this family that, that was poverty stricken, but it, but it never affected their piousness and their commitment. God. And what James James says here regarding God and the promises of God as we ask God for this kind of of wisdom is something that reflects very much the teachings on the Sermon on the Mount, especially Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. That verse about asking, seeking, knocking. And it will be open to you. And what James is saying here is this is about the character of God. This that that God desires to give to you, this God that that gives generously, that gives without reproach. When he knows your heartbeat, when he knows that that it is your desire as as his child to respond to the adversities of life in a way that is appropriate and reflecting of your faith, listen, Why would God the Father withhold that from you? His reputation is at stake. His character is at stake. And when he knows your heartbeat, that you want to act wisely in the world as you deal with your circumstances, God is not going to withhold this from you. His willingness is linked to his character. Third thing that I want us to notice in this building of our our matrix for wisdom, is not just knowing what to ask and who to ask, but knowing how to ask. There's a way to ask for this this wisdom that that is appropriate, that is fitting for us as, as a people of God. James says in verse 6, but he must, he must, no wiggle room, but he must, he must ask in faith, the same faith that is necessary to consider all things with joy, same faith that is necessary to respond wisely despite circumstances, but he must ask in faith without any doubting, Take some negative and positive approach here. But he must ask in faith without any doubting for the one who doubts. This is the negative side of this. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Someone who just lives life randomly. You know the problem with just random living? You're most likely to just get random results. That's what he's speaking to here. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded, unstable in all of his ways really an outgrowth of the Shema which informed very much the shaping of 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 James faith love the Lord your God with all of your heart all of your soul all of your mind the totality of who you are that's what is necessary to live in in relationship with this father this heavenly father and 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 to reflect in our life and to make manifest in our life this faith that we confess Notice, again, this is how we ask. In faith, never doubting. In faith, never doubting. It's talking about a singularity of focus in life talking about a single-minded perspective on life, a single-minded approach to life. It is a single-minded existence. It is a single-minded existence that trusts in God exclusively and nothing else. That whatever happens to us, that whatever befalls us, whatever happens to you, it is a single-minded trust, not that I believe God is going to reverse my circumstances and make them favorable once again, that's not it. But it is a single-minded existence that trusts that the purposes, the providential purposes of God will not be thwarted and not just not thwarted, but they will be accomplished. That my heartache, my tragedy, my circumstances doesn't mean that somehow the plan of God has been derailed. You see, the problem with the double-minded man, when Paul Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress, uh, one of the characters in that book was Bunyan referred to as as Mister facing both ways, and the problem with living life like Mister facing both ways is it really blinds you to what God is doing? Because if you're if you're Mister facing both ways in life, if you're double-minded, oh you you may you may offer to God a token prayer that He might reverse your unfavorable circumstances. But if you're bemoaning and we whine about those those things that are happening to us, just like the world does, if we're just as emotional, reactionary, and woe is me, why me? If if we act like the world, if you're double-minded, when life shifts, when life changes, you know what's more than likely if you're double-minded? God gets no credit. You're going to think things changed because someone else came along, or you got this job, or you acquired this. And you're going to to link your change in circumstances to something else that is temporal in nature. The double-minded man does not see the providential hand of God working. Yes, even in our adversity. Even in our unimaginable sufferings. Because here's, tr- here's the truth, church family, regarding circumstances and the temptation to link our sense of well-being to circumstances, which is a very natural response. We're being called to do the supernatural, to, to respond otherwise, not like the world. The truth is, regardless of God, your circumstances are gonna change. Regardless of God, whatever state you're in right now, whatever it is you're facing, whatever season of life that you are in right now, whether it's good, life's never been better, or whether you're facing an adversity, In a degree of pain that you never imagined in your life? I promise you, next week, you'll be at a different place. Might be better, might be worse. But you're going to be at a different place. Somewhere in the journey of life, you're going to be at a different place than you are right now. The question, the the big question, it's not our circumstances, those are gonna change. The question that emerges from your text, from our text, is in the midst of our circumstances, our adversities, our trials, will you have the wisdom to endure, to persevere, To reflect maturity in the faith that sees through the circumstance, the maturity, the wisdom that knows this is going to change. But a wisdom that can see to the bigger picture of the providential purposes of God. That's the question. Do you have that kind of wisdom? That kind of faith? That kind of Of maturity because that is what James is challenging us to reflect to showcase to the world that bears witness to the hope that is in us in Christ Jesus our Father might this truly be the quality of our faith a faith that is not only confessed but a faith that is made evident in every circumstance of our lives knowing that through this we are agents of influence in this world that what you have entrusted to us in whatever our circumstance might be you have entrusted to us an opportunity to be a part of your providential purposes that yes even in our suffering and our hardships and how we respond to them might bring hope might bring light and life to the life of others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.